All right, ready for another Rags Riches Secrets. What I want to share with you is, I don't know if you've ever read this book called Influence by Robert Cialdini. The reason I want to share it with you is that if you have ambitions to make it into the top 5% of the most wealthy or the highest income earners in America, that's 250K plus is what makes up the top 5% in America. The skills that you learn in here are actually the critical skills you need to be able to make it into that club. Now, one of the things I, I, I take and I work with my sales teams on uh, on this all the time, because collectively, the big thing is you've got to figure out, if you want to create the good life, you've got to figure out how to be able to influence, how to have persuasion, how to cause people to move and to take some action. Because collectively, you just got to understand, people collectively do not want to move. They don't want to make a decision. They don't want to move. They, they actually get, people get tripped up. And because they get tripped up and they don't want to make a decision, they become paralyzed. And as a result, they can just stay in the same place that they were. And our objective is to be able to help people to do something that would actually improve their life. And to do that, you've got to learn the skills of influence or persuasion. And so in this book, Robert Cialdini, like it's when I started reading books like this, and I'll share a couple more with you, that I actually started understanding how it is that people work so that you could start using influence to actually help somebody. Now, you might say, well, Mike, why would I want to learn influence? Well, if you don't like money, then don't worry about it. If you don't want to help your kids do things that they probably should do, then don't worry about it. If you don't want to have any impact in the world, don't worry about it. But for everybody else, understanding these psych these these uh, psychologies or these weapons of influence you could say it becomes actually very important so very first thing is you've got to do you've got to understand this this concept called reciprocity okay reciprocity like this is this is one tool that I know in fact works very very well on me and in fact, where I'd kind of even discovered it or it became more clear. Have you guys ever gone to one of those timeshare events? And at the timeshare events, they promise you, I'll give you a, a thing for a cruise, right? And you, every time you go into this thing, you're like, no, I am not going to sign up for this cruise. I don't, I don't want this timeshare. What I want is this uh, cruise, okay? So you go in. But the next thing you know, this reciprocity kicks into play. And all of a sudden, you start feeling obligated and obligated to be able to buy this timeshare and it but it comes into play and so like if you think about it and I tease my kids about this all the time I'm like look if I want if I say hey can I stick my hand in your bag and grab some of your candy because I want to taste yours they might say no right but if I say hey here's my bag um, of candy would you like would you like to try some of mine here try it and typically Typically, the way people or humans are wired, they would say, okay, hey, you know what? Why don't you try some of mine too? Because then they would automatically be induced to reciprocity. And so just think through that. By being able, and you know this subconsciously, but we've got to bring this stuff up to the conscious level so that you can use it. Reciprocity comes into play by doing things and then people will obviously feel like they ought to pay you back. It's just, the right, it's just the right thing. You ever hear somebody say, well, I'm going to call in all my IOUs or I'm going to call in all of my, um, oh crap, I forgot what you call it. They're going to, they're, whatever it is, they're going to call in all of these favors. Yeah, they're going to call in their favors 
and say, because I helped you, it's time to call on those favors, okay? So reciprocity. Number two is commitment and consistency. There, it, it's kind of bizarre. Okay, If you think about it, like some people might not even be practice their religion, but because they're associated with it, then they would say, well, I'm this religion or I'm that religion, even though there's, there's no, so even though it doesn't appear that any of that or any of the, that religion is actually true in their lives, right? Um, and people will stay consistent. Um, you will see people that, let's see, um, like for example, you would take, if you want to take and you want to reach some goals, like one of the things that you would do is you would say, you would start telling people, here's my goals, here's what I want to do, here's what I want to accomplish. And because you take and you say that, you then feel compelled to be consistent. Um, Robert Cialdini, in this book, he talked about how uh, it was one of the one, it was one of the wars, like Vietnam War or something like that, and trying to figure out how to break up the war. What they would do is when they would capture Americans, they would start trying instead of actually necessarily trying to physically alter their belief system. What they did is, is they said, look, we, we know that you want to let your loved ones know that you're home. So I'll tell you what, what we're going to do is you're going to write an essay or something like this. And we will, based on going through and uh, we will go through and select one of those essays that we will then send home as a letter to your family so that they know that you're still alive. Well, if you think about it, the only letters that were sent back were one sympathetic to the United States and not no longer being in the conflict. And once they started committing it to paper like that, then all of a sudden other people, like they wanted their families to know they're safe too. And they're like, wait a minute, the only ones that are getting selected are the ones that are anti-war saying that the United States did wrong, right? And after they started discovering it, they started writing it in, in their letters, being sympathetic, saying we should shut this thing down. Well, as a result... They committed it to paper, then they actually started believing it, then they actually, like, basically, they, the opposite side accomplished their objective by causing soldiers to actually commit to paper and then change their belief system because they wanted their letters sent out, okay? You wouldn't think that that would actually come into play, but in fact, it did come into play, and in fact, it did work. It's a psychological weapon of influence. And when people commit things to paper, they become consistent. In fact, you read this book, it was interesting. He, like, there was groups of people. And, and like, it, one group of people, they said, hey, like, like, it was like some sort of question and answer thing, right? So how many, they'd say, okay, here's the question. How many people wrote this? And it was the wrong thing, right? Like, the ones that, the ones that just made up the decision in their mind, like, almost, like, almost nobody got it wrong. Almost everybody got it right. But as soon as they were required to take that exact same information, commit it to paper, then obviously the numbers flipped because then, they, like in their head, they, it, was, it was written and it was documented on a piece of paper. Therefore, it was much harder to change their position. Therefore, if you think about it, finding ways to allow, say, a customer, you want a customer to commit something to their paper, okay? Like you could hand a customer an application 
you could even start filling out the application because you know that people, once an application starts, they're going to have a hard time not wanting to complete it. But then you have them complete it, which will then cause them to step into a state of wanting to have consistency. Correct? Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, next weapon of influence, social proof. Like, think about the example right here. It's talking about, so if four friends, they go out, in this one, it suggests if four friends go out, they order margaritas. Likely, very likely, say the fifth person, if there's a fifth person there, they would do the same thing. People tend to operate in herds in that sense so that they don't necessarily stand out. So if you start wearing, if you start discovering all of a sudden all your friends are wearing their jeans kind of low, next thing you know, you probably start wearing your jeans low. Or somebody tells a stupid joke that you don't get, but everybody laughs, then you start laughing. Um, but it, it happens every day. And you'll see it in social proof. Like, I, I, I've, I've discovered this when I've been out uh, working and operating is, is like people will tend to lean towards being lazy, not wanting to make their own decision. And so what they'll do is they're like, oh, so-and-so did their research. So-and-so made the decision because they did it. Therefore, I'm going to do it. And, and it's such a shortcut. And actually, it's a very helpful shortcut because sometimes you don't know exactly how to behave in every circumstance. Therefore, you can use social cues or shortcuts to be able to understand how to operate. Like, you ever remember going to uh, school as a kid and somebody's like, okay, we're going to have a dance tonight. And you're like, well, what's, well like, what kind of wear is it? Is it like casual? Is it formal? What is it? Right? Because you don't want to show up out of place. And if you did, then you'd feel, like, you'd feel like you're weird. Therefore, people will try to blend in and they will use social cues to just say the same. Okay, so fourth one, liking. Liking, liking. One of the things that's very powerful is a physical attractiveness. Um, so you take example for Kim, Kim Kardashian. She's got like 10 million plus followers, right? Just, just stupid amount of people follow her, right? Um, what is it about her that caught, it's, it's not like she's overly smart. It's not like she's overly talented, but she dresses very well and she's very attractive. And people love to be associated with things that are very nice and attractive. I learned this one time at Raytheon. Like, okay, so think about this. Think about this in your corporate America. Um, when, when a project comes together, okay, and it fails, like nobody takes ownership. Like that project fell. Like there, it has, it, it's, it's like, it's a bastard child. Nobody accounts for it. Nobody claims it. Like nobody wants to have any association with it. But if that thing was to actually succeed, all of a sudden success has many fathers. Yep, I pioneered that. Yep, I did that. Like everybody jumps in on the winners and everybody flees from, from the losers and nobody will take credit for the things that fell. Um, very interesting. It's just how people work. So like some things that you could use, like some things you could use to help help improve your odds is you could be a, you could make yourself more attractive you could look nice um, typically typically we end up liking people who compliment us like even if the compliments are not true right um, like obviously you wouldn't fall for that but that would be called flattery but people like to be complimented that's just what it is and people like to be associated with things that are familiar like 
think about it. You probably root. You probably root for your local teams, like your local football, your local basketball, or your whatever high school you went to, right? And then from high school, you went up to college, to the college level, and then you root for it. Because we like to root for things that are very similar and familiar to us. So keep that in mind. Those are examples of how we take and we operate. So let's see. Next one, authority. Authority. This one, this one is actually... Very interesting, okay? If you think about it, if, if a police officer comes up to you in uniform, the uniform establishes authority so that you feel, not everybody feels the need, but there is a tendency towards compliance because he's wearing a uniform and he has a source of authority. That's why you're going to see people put PhDs, MBAs, all kinds of different stuff on it. Like, you can take and... Like, I don't know how you present yourself would present whether you have authority. I, I did this one time, okay? I went over to our customer's house and I, I, I knocked on the door and I'm like, hey, I'm here for our appointment. And so, you know, the wife, she just let me right in, went in there, sat on the couch. The husband came over to talk to me and I looked at him. I'm like, I do not know who you are. And we started laughing, right? And literally what I did is I had actually gone to the wrong house, but because I operated as though I had the, like I was supposed to be there. I assumed the cell. Therefore, I said, yep, I'm here for our appointment. She's like, oh, okay. I basically, I'm using my authority that we basically had the appointment. Therefore, we just went in. Simple mistake, but it freaking worked. Think about it. Literally went in, sat on somebody's couch and have absolutely no idea why I'm there. Okay. Um, it comes into play. So like things that you would do, you want to try to move some product, you could use a celebrity endorsement. You could take and do, like there's all kinds of stuff. In fact, in part why I invite people on my podcast is because what it does is it allows people to say, that guy right there, he's actually legit because he's in association or connection with so-and-so. And, -so. and, and it's, it's true. That's like, it's true, but it also helps that you can see from a third party or like a social proof or from authority figure that things that I do are legit, right? And so you just understand that, okay? So if you can figure out how to position yourself or put yourself in a position where you're an authority on a subject, because like, here's what I know. I tell the sales guys this all the time. Like, look, if you create any doubt whatsoever inside your customer's mind that you are not the expert, they won't buy. Okay, they don't, people don't want to buy from people who don't know what they're doing. Okay, collectively, I'm not saying like that in every situation. I'm like, you could go to all a dollar and you're like, you don't care because it's a dollar, right? Well, I don't do a, I don't do a low ticket item. I do high ticket items and people do not want to buy from somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Okay, so authority, understand, understand exactly what you are. Be the master of it. I, here's you an example of it. Andrew Carnegie brought it up. He, he was talking about when I think he was getting his, his tonsils out, right? Um, he said that his, his, he said that his local doctor could have actually performed the procedure and he could have done it for about a 10th of the cost of what the expert charged to actually do it. Nevertheless, they went and found an expert to come in there and to extract his tonsils, right? And people will pay more to buy the same advice from an expert, okay? Scarcity. Scarcity. Why in the world does scarcity matter? Okay, you're going to hear 
uh, comments like limited time offer, you're going to have deadlines, countdown timers, things that suggest that if you don't act now, you won't get it. Tony Robbins told a story once that I thought was great. He said that he goes, I bought tons of these cookies. He's like, they were boatloads of cookies. And he said, and everybody would just help themselves. I think they were like in a fridge or something. Um, and he says, everybody would just help themselves and take some of it. No big deal. He goes, but you know what was crazy? He goes, it got down to like the last box. And he said, I mean, it was like the last cookie in there. And he's like, I, I opened up like the fridge. I looked in there and he's like, he goes, you know, I didn't even actually want a cookie. But because there was only one left, I had to take it, right? And it was, it was the scarcity. That's what causes people to, to jump and start grabbing things. Okay, so think about this. Why in the world would anybody on the planet want to wake up the day after Thanksgiving on Black Friday and go down there and stand in lines like going all the way around buildings and stuff forever, right? Because they know it's a limited time where they could go in there and buy something at a discount. Like, why does it make any sense? I don't know. Like, I don't do it. Rick, I'd rather, I'd rather not spend, I would rather not stand in the line. I would rather not do, I'd rather just pay full price, okay? Like, that just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me, but it works in masses on people. And that's why you see people will go crazy over sales and stuff like that. So you say, Mike, I want to join the 250 Club. Okay, you want to join the 250 Club, you've got to learn these weapons of influence. I've taken and I've shared a few more. There's another book that I will take and share here. Probably, I don't know. I'll share it here before soon, before long, which will go deeper into influence so that you can understand that. That, my friends, is another Rags of Riches Secrets. You wish to create the good life. You have got to learn the skills that creates it. I will talk to you later.